Behind the scenes, 32. Transmitters? We don't need no stinking transmitters. This is Behind the Scenes, an inside look at what it takes to put together a podcast and make it work. Check it out. Check it out. Hey, this is Craig Patchett, and this is Behind the Scenes number 32. This is the second of a series of three editions of Behind the Scenes in which I'm going to be featuring interviews conducted with various podcasters and other movers and shakers within the podcasting community that I conducted at the Podcast and Portable Media Expo back at the end of September in Ontario, California. Now, the last show featured interviews with three different podcasters, touching on some of the more philosophical aspects of podcasting. In tonight's show, I'm going to be interviewing four different podcasters and talking about some of the more mechanical aspects, audio, promotion, using music, and a little bit about monetization. Before I get started, I just wanted to mention that I'm recording right now using a Sennheiser MD-46, which is a handheld interview mic, and recording with the Marantz PMD-660 flash recorder. Now, this is the setup that I used along with a remote for the Marantz at the expo itself. And so the interviews that you're hearing were recorded with the same setup that I'm using right now. The cost of the PMD-660 and the mic together is around $600, so it's certainly not at the lower end of the price range. But if you're looking for a more professional setup uh, in terms of something that will give you a little more credibility, then you may want to look into this combination. I was very pleased with it at the show, and uh, I think it's a great device and a great mic. Now for the interviews. We're going to start out with Paul Figiani who most recently is with Gigavox and is also well-known for his podcast, The Point. Now, Paul is a longtime friend of Behind the Scenes, a great guy and an outstanding audio engineer, and has a well-deserved reputation for knowing what he's talking about when it comes to creating great audio. Along with The Point, which talks about different audio tools for people who are looking at creating a higher quality of sound for their podcasts. Paul also runs podcastrigs.com, which not only features equipment, reviews, and announcements, but also has one of the best forums I've come across for uh, advice on podcast audio. So what I wanted to talk to Paul about is what the role of audio quality is in podcasting today. When podcasts first started, obviously the emphasis was on the content and the quality was incidental as long as it was listenable. And I wondered whether or not that had changed over the past two years, and whether or not sound quality was really that important. First of all, I think it's important to understand that it's not necessary to be an audio engineer or somebody that has some sort of background in audio production to produce a good-sounding podcast. And the other thing that's very important is it's not necessary to spend a lot of money on gear. It's very possible to pick up a $50 USB microphone and use some free software and produce a very good quality, acceptable quality podcast that, depending on what your aspirations are, is perfectly acceptable. However, in my opinion, I think that if you're looking into monetizing your podcast and uh, hopefully increasing exposure 
and attracting sponsors. I think audio quality, audio production, having some people that are experienced within that field to advise you in terms of what software should be used, what techniques should be used. I think it's a very important issue, and I think it's going to set you apart from those who are just treating podcasting as a hobby as opposed to a business. Now, you have a website, Podcast Rigs. You have several websites, but podcastrigs.com in particular addresses the issue of when I'm ready to step up in terms of equipment and software and so forth, what should I be looking at? You offer advice on everything from a basic to a really advanced rig for people to look into. When somebody gets to the point where they're ready to make that move and improve the quality, what's the first thing that they should look at in terms of an investment in equipment? Well, I personally recommend that if a person is going to really get serious in terms of their audio quality, that they explore the world of external hardware processing. And the reason for that is that most people who are doing this, and for some reason may becoming very, very popular very rapidly, don't really have the necessary skills or experience in proper microphone techniques, for example. So I find it easier to practice and learn how to modulate your voice properly when hearing yourself fully processed through external processors as opposed to recording a sort of dry signal and then working with that in post-production. So that's the, the one thing that I always recommend to those who are interested in hearing my insight in terms of what my personal recommendation is. It's always external hardware as opposed to post-production processing with plugins. And again, most of the people that are gaining rapid popularity have very, very little experience with proper microphone techniques specifically. And I think that it definitely helps and accelerates the process of getting used to speaking from the correct distance from a microphone and learning how to use a compressor, for example, if that's what you choose to help accelerate the process and hopefully provide excellent quality results for their project. Now, a lot of people, when they think of external hardware, all of a sudden the dollar signs start ringing up in their head. But Actually, external compressor limiters can be quite inexpensive. Right? What kind of cost would somebody be looking at if they had a limited budget and they want to add something on? It doesn't have to be the best thing right away. Exactly. Uh, in fact, I believe it's the DBX266XL, which is a readily available compressor limiter, is about $129. And it's very, very easy to use for someone who has very little exposure to a sort of compressor slash limiter. And the, the thing that I really like about it is it can be used in stages. There are a couple of parameters available on the compressor that can be switched to total automatic settings. And the only thing you really need to get used to is to learn how to use the compressor that will provide results for what you're actually looking to achieve in terms of vocal processing. But again, you don't need to go out and spend $600 for a real expensive professional broadcast processor or radio style processor something as little as $150 will definitely provide acceptable results. Okay, and then, of course, this kind of equipment can also be found on eBay for even lower prices as well. Well, thanks for your time, Paul. Thank you, Craig. Next, I talked with Brian Ibbett, the host of Coverville. Brian has been around podcasting almost since the beginning and has had quite a bit of experience, obviously, with using music in podcasts. And I wondered how Coverville has evolved over the past two years, especially with respect to using music in podcasts. It's turned into a much more independent music show than it ever used to be, which is great. It's a chance for like independent artists, independent labels to send me stuff and, and kind of showcase their own material. 
I'm still paying the ASCAP and BMI because I still have to do the songwriter credit, but now I'm getting the stuff legally from independent artists and independent labels who, quite frankly, are as good or better than some of the commercial stuff that you hear these days. Now, how has your listener base responded to that? Is, are they excited about getting exposed to the new music, or do they kind of express a, a regret that the old format has changed? If they've got any regrets, then they've shown it by just not subscribing anymore, but my counts continue to go up according to FeedBurner and the vaporware of uh, podcast numbers. But I get requests for independent artists now. Somebody will go to a club and see this guy do a great rendition of like an Alanis Morissette song on a guitar, just an acoustic version, and they'll pick up a card, send the information to me, I'll get in touch with the artist and say, hey, can I put it on Coverville? And they're excited about it. That was the thing I was afraid of, was that listeners would only be able to request the stuff that they know of, the commercial stuff that they're aware of. But a lot of listeners go out to these clubs, they hear independent artists, they have a friend who's in a band. So it's, it's great. The direction of exposure is going that way. Is there an opportunity for podcasts that are featuring independent music to use that as a way to get an income for their podcasts? I don't know. I mean, probably the best way to do it is to partner up with a label or partner up with a group of labels and have some sort of affiliate kind of, you know, when I play these bands, if somebody goes and buys their album, I get a 10 cent cut or a you know, nickel cut or something like that. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's got to be a way for bands to do it. I'm so passionate about the music that the money comes secondarily. What about the labels? Speaking of, of them, have they approached you and expressed an interest in providing uh, material for your show? Absolutely. I get uh, about a half a dozen boxes a week, some with one CD in it, some with like 10 CDs. Koch Records up in New York sent me a, a huge box full of CDs, and I still have enough material for like months just on what they've sent. Okay, well, great. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Craig. It's good to see you. One of the most important books on podcasting to be released recently is called Promoting Your Podcast and is written by Jason Van Orden. Promoting Your Podcast is probably one of the most important and least understood uh, aspects to podcasting once you get your show up and going and all the kinks worked out. The next step, obviously, is to try and build up your listenership. And that's what Promoting Your Podcast is all about. I asked Jason how the book came about and what his basic marketing philosophy is. Well, the reason I wrote the book is because I know that it's, it's just a number one want and need, I think, of podcasters once they get in there and they get, like you said, get their content going. After that, universally, whether you're beginner, advanced, intermediate, corporate, indie, whatever, you're thinking, well, now I need more listeners. If I'm creating this thing, I'd really like people to listen to it. And so that's why I wrote the book. And it was just a brain dump of all these ideas I've had as a podcaster, as an internet marketer. And it's all just cost-effective, easy, basically free ways to attract people towards your podcast. Now, the biggest thing that I think that podcasters need to get, get past a little bit is realizing you have something of value and marketing doesn't have to be like this intrusive, icky thing. It's just go out and find people who are going to be passionate about what you have to say just like you are. And if you believe that you have something of value, you know, put that in front of people, you're really actually doing them a service. They're going to come and just enjoy and really connect with what you have to say. And so if you keep that mindset, hopefully marketing becomes fun because you see it as connecting with other people like yourself and bringing them the value that you're offering. So it becomes a, you know, a connection that way. And then marketing becomes a lot more fun. And so that was kind of, you know, my, the, my marketing philosophy that I also try to get across in the book is get your message in front of people who are, are likely to enjoy it and want to hear what you have to say. So for somebody who's interested in applying this, what's the first step that they should take? Well, the first step, if you haven't started your podcast, is just to spend some time actually thinking about what's your niche, 
who are the potential listeners you're going for. Because I think if you carefully define your niche and you really have a good idea of who the uh, listeners are going to be, it's going to be that much easier than to know what content to create for them and how to market to them and where to find them. And then half the battle will be done because you have a clear idea in your mind of, of who you're trying to reach. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is think carefully about what the title is. Really have your title be gripping and interesting but communicate something. So when somebody sees your title, your title is the first thing most people are going to see of your podcast. And so, you know, come up with a title that when somebody who's in your target audience, your potential listener sees that, they know this podcast sounds like it's for me and I should check it out. And so give, give that thought to your title and don't just like come out with something, then you're stuck with it and you can't change it. So that's a couple things I would, you know, say to start thinking about. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I'll be featuring a review of the book in an upcoming behind the scenes. And I'm looking forward to putting it to the test and applying it to a new show that I'm launching. We'll see how things go. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Craig. And I'm glad to hear behind the scenes is making a comeback. Well, I'm certainly glad to have behind the scenes up and running as well. I'll finish the show with an interview with Robbie Trenchany. Robbie heads up the Teen Podcasting Network and was very adamant last year that monetization was out of the question. Uh, He seems to have changed his tune a little bit, as you'll hear. But first, I asked him to talk about what the network is about. Basically, last year, June 30th, uh, we started with 10 podcasts, and we've now grown to over 75. Team Podcasters Network is basically just a website in which people can post about their shows, they can link to their own shows, stuff like that. Just a great community that allows team podcasters to interact with each other. And so what's your goal with the site? Is it just to provide that kind of community or is it to eventually go beyond that and perhaps monetize it in some way? I definitely do wish to monetize it. I know that that's different from what I was saying last year, but now that we have people like Podtrack and you know, all the other companies that provide advertising, you know, it's really looking like it's getting pretty easy to do that. So now all we got to do is find the right advertiser. What kind of listener base do you have? I don't really track specific podcast listeners, but hits-wise, uh, we get about 1,000 to 2,000 a month. Is that just plain hits or unique visitors? That's just plain hits. Unique visitors is about 500. Do you have any idea what kind of percentage of the podcast listening base is your target audience or, or teens? No, I, I don't really collect stats about specific podcasts or the podcast in general. I just watch website statistics. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time, and I certainly wish you continued success with the network. Thank you. And that wraps it up for this edition of Behind the Scenes. Next week, we'll feature four final interviews that focus on the evolution of podcasting from audio to video, so be sure to check that out. If you'd like to leave feedback for the show, please visit the homepage at btscast.com, and that's BTS as in behind the scenes, of course. You can also reach me at craig at godcast.org or leave voicemail at 815-301-8600. Welcome any and all feedback, and would be more than happy to play your feedback in a future edition of the show. This is Craig Patchett, and until next time... God bless.